Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on Animal Welfare Certified Bone-In Beef Short Ribs, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie and Ground Lamb. Grab an Olive Bull Bread from the Bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to Destiny. Now here's your host, Cliff Dunning. Hey, well, welcome to uh, Destiny. It's good to see you. Hope you're doing well this week. We are talking about wellness today and how we interact with physicians, healers, the people we go to when we're uh, having questions about wellness as a rule in the United States and most Western countries, we don't go to a allopath to sit down and discuss a, uh, a wellness program. For the most part, we go when we have a problem. We're not well. We might go in for our, our annual physical and get an idea of how we are, uh, be, you know, how we're doing. Uh, but a lot of people go to the doctor today when there is a problem, when there is a crisis, when there is something that's not working, you don't feel well. I've mentioned this many times. When I go to the doctor, it's because I have a problem or I am, I mean, I just I just had a heart issue where they um, inserted a stent and gave me medications. And, uh, you know, I just had my uh, blood work done the other day and the word is you're doing fine but I didn't have a chance to tell a doctor I want to get off the meds. <laughs> so when we deal with doctors today, these people are technicians. And our program is looking at what medicine was uh, is supposed to be, how it's supposed to look at the body, mind, and the spirit, and how all of these in symphony are supposed to work on keeping us locked into our bodies, locked into Gaia, the earth, and healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> uh, that's that's a little oversimplified. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make is that there is a, a gigantic disconnection uh, in today's uh, medical model when it comes to working with people's illnesses. And one of the things that the indigenous people, the Native Americans, the Native people around the world were focused on, and I think today, if you look at some of the Native communities, they still follow this, is 
what is known as dreaming visions and spiritual visions or vision quests, where if you're not feeling well, if you are reaching a certain age, you will look inward. And we've had a a couple of people on the program who have talked about the uh, dream incubation chambers, the temples of dreams that are found uh, in in uh, Europe, specifically in Greece. We see them in, in uh, dynastic Egyptian uh, cities. The Mayas have temples that have dream chambers in them for incubation of dreams. And when you're reaching a certain age, when you are dealing with uh, emotional, physical, even spiritual crisis, when you're working with your dreams, you're going to get impressions, you're going to get understandings. We don't even talk about dream therapy. We don't talk about uh, using massage or using fasting to get answers to what's going on with our body. One of the things that we do ha- we have been talking about is using psychedelics to to get answers and I'm very very sensitive and so I am not going to be somebody who uses psychedelics. Uh I mean Graham Hancock wrote a whole book on his therapeutic sessions with ayahuasca. It, the book's called Visionary. And when when he was on the program Earth Ancients, we actually went through the various uh, sessions he had, sometimes under the guidance of a doctor, sometimes uh, under the guidance of a shaman. And, you know, he would take a dose and have these amazing trips. But, you know, I mean, that's that's not something I want to do. And I, I, I just, <laughs> I'd rather do it in a more gentle, a gentle manner. So, uh, the book we're talking about today is called uh, Soul Medicine by Dr. Ed uh, Tick. And he is a psychotherapist and has worked with people with different conditions, anything from heart conditions all the way into cancer, other degenerative diseases where you know you waited too long. And, and a lot of people, when they get older and they get these degenerative diseases, they haven't been paying attention. And we don't pay attention to our body, mind, and spirit because we are too occupied with uh, looking at social media, watching TV, dealing with our family, dealing with our friends, not caring, not paying attention to ourselves. And this is where the real problem is. And it's getting worse. And it's getting worse when you have applications on your iPhone like TikTok, which are I'll put it flat out, are are very, very addicting. I have found myself, and my friends are telling me about this. I have a girlfriend who says the same thing. When you get going on TikTok, you're locked in. And I've I've uh, feathered it away uh, 60 plus minutes just, just looking at different uh, video uh, clips of um, uh, people doing things, animal activities, I mean, it's it runs the gamut, and I don't know what the elixir is on TikTok that is so addicting. I just think that we like to see other people doing crazy things or interacting. Uh, I, I uh, I'm a, I've become a fan of Judge Judy, uh, which is a courtroom situation where two opposing points of view square off, and Judge Judy presides over it. 
<laughs> but you know, the funny thing is, I I I waste time, and when your brain is occupied, you know that's that's it's kind of like a an addiction. It's a uh, feeding an addiction, and and so this is not good. So that's the tip of the iceberg. Then there's social media generally, and, and like I just said, there's the, our lifestyles when we are not well, and we're dealing with cancer, and we're dealing with heart issues, and we're dealing with rheumatoid arthritis, and we have gastrointestinal problems, and we have mobility problems, and we're overweight, we're obese. These are things that need to be addressed because it means that we're not paying attention to our body and our mind and ultimately our spirit. So today's program is Soul Medicine Healing Through Dream Incubation Visions, Oracles, and Pilgrimage. And my guest is Dr. Edwin Tick. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So most of us in the Western United States, I should call Western culture, go to healing when we are physically ill, mentally ill, and sometimes even spiritually ill, thinking that our doctors can help us in some way. I've talked to you guys uh, a lot about uh, my feeling about the current majority, uh, the current dominant healing uh, modality, which is uh, allopathy. And the huge disconnect that happens uh, when you go to a doctor and uh, have a treatment for whatever ails you or just get some general counsel. My guest today has written a, a fascinating book called Soul Medicine, where he looks back at the fundamentals, the, the, the very beginning where allopathy 
I got a, a great deal of its um, fundamentals from. And when we hear about the Greeks, we hear about indigenous medicine, it is completely different than what we experience as uh, re- recipients of the healing technique that comes out of this uh, tradition of allopathy. My guest today is Edward or Ed Tick. He is a transformational psychotherapist, international pilgrimage guide, educator, author, and poet. And this new book, Soul Medicine, I had a chance to look at it. By the way, the, to- the title is Soul Medicine, Healing Through Dream Incubation, Visions, Oracles, and Pilgrimage. Wow. Just to have that on the cover, you got to think, well, that seems like a disconnect. I haven't had anyone talk about visions <laughs> when I visit my doctor. But hey, Ed's going to tell us kind of the, the, the history and where things have kind of gone off uh, off the road a little bit. So hey, Ed, welcome to Destiny. Great to have you on the program. Thank you very much, Cliff. Great to be with you and share uh, our good work trying to help bring spirituality back into our world. Hey, I want to bring up the very beginning of your book where you're giving a, a a lecture at a teaching hospital and the room's filled with students uh, looking to get their their doctor, their MD. And you ask a couple of very basic questions about uh, Hippocrates and uh, I think there was another character in the the past who was noted for bringing about healing understanding and, and wellness techniques what is the disconnect between traditions of medicine and current healing? And I say healing allopathy. We can even discuss whether allopathic medicine really heals or just uh, corrects and suppresses and ends symptoms. And that's at the core of our concerns. Uh, The other character that uh, you mentioned is Asclepios. Asclepius was the god of healing in ancient Greece. Uh, and just to begin, um, for our friends out there, lecturing at the medical college, uh, I asked if anyone in, uh, it was a huge medical auditorium. So there were, I don't know how many, two, three hundred uh, students and professors uh, and residents. I asked if anybody knew who Asclepius was, not one, not a hand. Then I asked, well, then, did it, does anybody know who Hippocrates was? Now, you and I and our friends probably know Hippocrates was called the father of modern medicine or the father of scientific medicine. And he began, he actually didn't begin the allopathic movement. He began the naturopathic movement. But right. he did, uh, before Hippocrates, medicine was a branch of philosophy. He studied it study the spiritual healing that he inherited from his father, his grandfather, and the Asclepian tradition. And he's made it scientific. Well, he's the, the first one who scientized medicine, mm-hmm. took it away from philosophy and made it an independent branch. Well, so I asked the, the student, the gathering, does it, well, who knows who Hippocrates was? Scouts are only four or five people raised their hands even to that question. Oh, boy. I called on one of them. Okay, who was Hippocrates? The answer was he invented medicine. There was no medicine or healing before him. Well, really? Then humanity wouldn't be here. Yeah. Medicine and healing are as ancient as we are. 
Our roots are, of course, in Neolithic times and shamanism and in earth medicine. And so, well, from there, I began to teach uh, this group. To their credit, I did teach about Asclepius and Hippocrates and the origins of medicine in what the Greeks called dream incubation, which we'll discuss together at greater length. Yeah. Um, by the end of the lecture, many of the students asked their professors, we hear dreams have great application to medicine and to healing. Can we please have a, uh, some courses on dreams and dream interpretation and how to use them medically? And the dean of the school said, no, sorry, it's not scientific. It doesn't fit in our curriculum. We don't have any time for that kind of lightweight stuff. But the students were curious and turned on, and, and at least maybe some of them went on to take the, these studies more seriously. You know, that, what, what is what is the big disconnect, Ed? What, what, why is uh, uh, medical science so resistant to the subtle energies of the body, to the consciousness, to, uh, uh, like you say, dreams? And, uh, I mean, you're, you even discuss how the, the Greeks use synchronicities. And I yep. found that amazing, too. Why, why the disconnect? What do you think? Uh, well, uh, it's a 2,000-year history of disconnect. The disconnect began in what's called the Greek Enlightenment. Uh, during Just after the time of Plato and Socrates. Actually, the transition from Socrates and Plato, who were very spiritual people, who believed in reason, but also said, as Plato said, uh, reason is our best tool. But the better tool for understanding the universe and ourselves is divine revelation. Mm -hmm. From Plato to Aristotle, things really started to separate and fall apart. Aristotle was exceedingly analytic, intellectual, and you know he gave us our modern uh, biological and uh, scientific schema. He dissected the entire natural world into the tiniest pieces where we could profoundly analyze and understand its physical workings. But by doing that, we lost the holistic vision. We lost the understanding of how things are truly one, interact with each other, and uh, all of the, uh, what we would say, non-rational or irrational uh, or right brain um, components of our being. That was just the beginning. But since then, uh, Western civilization has evolved along the Aristotelian uh, path. So we are hyper-analytic. We are empirical. We are um, materialistic. Yeah. We are consumeristic. We are competitive. And those are our dominating values. And uh, they truly infect medicine and uh, teach people of medical and healing professionals to go in that direction. Uh, and then, of course, in our modern era, without beating the whole world up, um, we uh, corporations have taken over medicine. So the doctors aren't even in charge anymore. And the, even doctors who want to serve us well can't because uh, healing needs to be about the person, needs to be holistic, uh, we need to be able to look at each other, look at the person, 
Um, you shared with me that you had heart issues, but nobody talked to you about who you are. They only looked at the mechanical pump. Yeah. Likewise, uh, I, I collapsed with severe back injuries five years ago. The doctors said, forget it. We can give you steroid shots in your spine. If that will cut you. I said no to both of them. Talk to me. For some re- holistic reasons, my back collapsed and I want to work on it with you and, um, and, and do what I can to heal it naturally. Well, they couldn't help. They wouldn't. They didn't know what I was talking about. But <laughs> uh, from being literally, I was in a wheelchair about six years ago and I can climb, I can climb mountains again. But so you because- went through your own healing path on your own. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk real quickly, Ed, about uh, I want to get into what you discovered, some of the uh, traditionalist in uh, uh, early indigenous healing techniques uh, and and, and their benefits. But before we do that, let's take a look at the medical model. When uh, these students come out of college and they graduate from a medical university, they get very little nutrition uh, information. Uh, They get a great deal of uh, uh, body biology, how the body functions, physiology, I guess you call it. Yes. Huge, huge, huge time spent on uh, pharmacology, how drugs interact. I mean, that's a huge, huge, my cousin went to med school and, he says that the amount of pharmacology was mind blowing. Yes. Uh, and it's a huge part of their practice. Uh, and then there's those who want a resident as a surgeon and then your specialties and so forth and so on. Uh, very, and, and maybe a little psychology. Your book criticizes medicine in general and then psychology. Uh, as two problematic uh, uh, issues reg- regarding our health, healthcare. Uh, and so here we have uh, people coming out who are not addressing uh, consciousness, psychology. Yes, psychology when it comes to uh, illnesses, mental health Ill- Ill- uh, problems, but not looking at how a person's lifestyle has influenced them. Uh, uh, interactions, things like that. And then, so, so there, they seem to me, and you write about this, and please talk to us about this, that they're more like technicians. And they're not oh, yeah. really, they're not really, uh, um, mm-hmm. holistic healers. In other words, looking at the whole system of mind, body, and spirit. Before we get into the ancients technique, let's talk about what we're getting in terms of today's doctors. Would you please? Sure. Uh, let me uh, respectfully broaden our understanding of holism. Mind, body, spirit, yes. And everybody leaves this out. I'm not criticizing you. It's uh, culture-wide. It's holism has to be mind, body, heart, and spirit in community with transcendent connections or purpose. Hmm. We have okay. to include all of those to be fully holistic. And uh, physicians have become so highly specialized that they can't even talk to us as, as if we were whole people. But we go to a pulmonologist and a rhinologist and an intestinologist and a microbiologist and on and on and on. 
what we, we and we don't even call our doctors. We don't have family doctors anymore. We don't have holistic doctors. We have um, primaries, PCPs, primary. Did you see your primary? I don't yeah. see. I can't say I saw my doctor and I don't even call my primary a doctor. Right. Okay. Uh, we also, it would benefit us to, to distinguish between a doctor and a physician. Physician is physical and treats the body. Doctor actually is an old word um, originating in the Latin that actually meant an educator, a scholar, a teacher. And very few physicians are really doctors. Hippocrates himself, that first scientific physician, said doctors are many in name, but few in reality. Most doctors are more like actors in the tragic theater who are wearing costumes, but they're not real underneath. So we have really, uh, I would argue, tragically, we have lots and lots of medical specialists, but very few real doctors. We have lots of physicians, but very few uh, wise scholars of medicine that know how to put help us put ourselves back together. Yeah, it's um, funny you mention that because um, my experience with corporate medicine, and I am here in Northern California, where Kaiser Permanente is the dominant animal, actually it's throughout California. And I see these physicians who are wonderful technicians, brilliant, brilliant, uh, uh, you know, surgeons and so forth. But when you ask them a question about uh, feelings or uh, subtle uh, feeling conscious problems, and they, they, they can't address it. They don't know what to do with you. (laughs) So, they somewhat ignore yeah. the question. Yeah. Um, people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And, uh, and we are, we're failing in our educational system for the young, and we're failing in our advanced educational system for doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they aren't learning, and we're living in such a competitive, materialistic, reductionist uh, world that – People just try to operate within that system the best they can. Uh, for the most part, physicians ask us symptomatology, and then, as you rightly said, they are drenched in pharmacology. And so they decide which medications to what are symptoms to reduce the symptoms. Yeah. But the symptom isn't the problem. The symptom, and my, I get into this very deeply in the book, as you know, that a, a symptom should be understood and read as a symbol, as an oracle, as a, an indication of what is going on in our deeper being. Hippocrates also said, all illness begins in the soul and ends in the body. Our physicians are just looking at the body, but they're not going through the symptoms to understand what are going on in our minds, hearts, souls. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm trying to make my own small contributions to correcting that and bringing uh, science and spirituality and philosophy back together so we can address each other as whole people. I had recently had my, whatever, six-month visit with my primary. I felt like I was going to a car repair shop. <laughs> yeah. Here's the list of old symptoms. Check off the ones that still bother you, and let's see what drugs we have to throw at them. Uh, I, I, at least my primary looks at me and talks to me, and he has good bedside manner. 
Most of uh, many of them have even lost that. They stare at their computers yeah. and input their data. So, uh, and this is uh, the general trend in our culture that's become so um, over scientific and uh, hyper analytic and uh, dependent on the information technology as if that takes care of us as whole people when it absolutely does not. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to spend a lot of time on the problem children because they're dominating us. And this is why we have great books like yours that show uh, some of the original indigenous medical treatments and uh, holistic approaches to, to, uh, to, to wellness. Uh, it's funny because in the very beginning of your book, you even reference shamanic practices, you know, some of the shamanistic techniques that you would think would be a little too rudimentary and raw for us today, but uh, uh, things like dreaming and visioning and working with oracles, that's all rooted in shamanistic practice, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we trace the history of Western medicine, it does go back 25,000 years or more to uh, originally to shamanic practices in the mountains of northern Greece. Uh, this might be a good time to give a brief introduction to the origins of medicine. So uh, we mentioned the God of healing, Asclepius. He, well, there's uh, there are three different theories about what he was. He was an Olympian god, or he was a much earlier thonic god of the earth and the underworld, or he was a real person who was such a magnificent healer that he was elevated to the status of a god. Let me stop you real quickly, uh, Ed, for this for the moment. This guy, who is kind of steeped in Greek mythology, was a tremendous healer, not only of the body, but he actually uh, works with the whole. He 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 understood the the entire system of being physical, right? Yes. Okay. And so when we speak about him, and I, I don't know a lot about him, uh, uh, he is where, I mean, where do we, where does he originate? Does he originate from an unknown pre-Diluvian pe people? Do we have a an idea uh, of his origins? No, we don't know that uh, because uh, there are no, the oldest written uh, records or uh Carved, carved in stone records that we have from this tradition go back to about 14 or 1500 BC. Okay. Okay. By that time, this tradition was fully developed. Uh, this came from, um, from, uh, Thessaly, the, the mountains of Northern Greece. Okay. And, and when we, for those of us who know the indigenous traditions and the shamanic practices, it's obvious that medicine grew out of them. Way back then, people used to go into the mountains and do what what the the Greek tradition called dream incubation. It's not the same as our every our, our ordinary nighttime dreaming. People would and, and a very good analogy for understanding it is the Native American vision quest. In the Native American and, and other indigenous traditions, people. Uh, they are prepared by the medicine people and their communities, and they go out into the wilderness for 
a short or long period of time where they encounter the natural forces and they fast, they pray, they just wait and watch until the universe connects with them and talks to them with a dream or a vision or a synchronistic event or something miraculous that is out of the ordinary and draws their attention. And they we know from such experiences that somehow the universe is seeing us and responding to us. And we have a real living reciprocal relationship. So dream incubation was very similar, except people did it in, well, originally in the mountains and in caves. Uh, uh, yeah. And then later as the tradition developed and uh, what we know of classical Greece and the beautiful large sanctuaries and buildings, it did develop into um, a, a very complex holistic practice uh, where they had uh, major dream healing sanctuaries all they over had the Medi- temples. Didn't they have temples, Ed? Uh, dream temples? Yes. Yes, they did. Yeah. They had dream they had dream temples and dream sanctuaries. Right. And uh, these were actually our holistic healing centers are partially modeled often. Like Esalen Institute in California has is a partial model or Omega Institute on the East Coast and elsewhere, Naropa. They are partially modeled on the ancient dream sanctuaries in that they offer a full range of holistic practices. Right. And but differences are that in ancient Greece, uh, and by the way, we know of more than 320 of these all over the Mediterranean world. They stretched from Egypt to the Iberian Peninsula and from um the Caucasus and uh, that part of Middle Europe all the way to the coast of Africa. The main ones are in Greece and the biggest and most important was called Epidaros or Epidauruses, that's written in English. But as I said, over 320. The difference between theirs and ours is when you went into theirs, first of all, it was the perfect um, universal free healthcare system. You weren't charged when you went in, and it was open to everyone. So emperors and slaves, men and women, everyone went. And they didn't pay. They gave offerings afterwards as thanks offerings after they received the healing. Mm-hmm. Our poor people, bless them, they can't afford to go to Esalen. Yeah. But a slave could go to a Pidavros and have a healing. And if the slave could only offer an apple to the gods for healing, that was plenty because mm-hmm. that's what they had to give. Another difference was people in the sanctuaries received the full range. It wasn't, I'm going to Esalen and I'm taking a week's intensive workshop in acupuncture or psychodrama. Mm -hmm. It was, I'm going into the sanctuary. I can stay there for as long as I need. And I will get nutrition and gymnastics and psychotherapy and astrology and massage therapy and touch therapy and energy healing and color therapy and hydrotherapy. And uh, and psychodrama, all of them, they were all intensely applied. Hold on. One more step. That was not even the core of the healing practice. That was to prepare people to enter the dream temple. Oh, my God. So that was all prep. That was all prep. 
and they wow. waited for dreams or visions or other signs that said, you're ready to go to approach the God of healing, to receive the, the what Jung, Carl Jung would call the big dream, the dream or the vision or the experience that would connect you with the divine and the divine would uh, provide um, either the healing in, directly during the dreaming time or provide the, the prescription, the recipe by which you can heal yourself. This tradition lasted from, as we said, about 1400 BC, so 2000 years to 500 AD when it was destroyed by the early, early Christianity. We have a, uh, at least a thousand testimonies of these healings that were written and recorded in ancient Greek and have been translated and are available to us that give, well, a thousand of these experiences of profound uh, spiritual healing to the conditions that ail us. Some of them, in some of the sanctuaries, they combined uh, scientific medicine with dream healing. But in many of the sanctuaries, they didn't, and no medical instruments were ever found. So, for example, uh, a soldier who had been blinded in combat and nobody knew how to heal him, uh, he went into the sanctuary, he went through all of these processes. Eventually, he went into the, the dream temple and he, he did a temple sleep, as it was called. Uh, and he had a dream in which he saw the God of healing, Asclepius, come to him and instruct him. Go to my altar and collect the ashes from my altar and go into the forest and collect acorns and crush them into a uh, flower and create a poultice and put these over your eyes and it will bring back your vision. I don't know how this works scientifically, but it worked. <laughs> it worked. Uh, the um, I think you, you may know and uh, many people know that I specialize in working with veterans with uh, severe war trauma. Yeah. The warriors of the ancient times loved this tradition. They protected the Asclepia. Another form of um, spiritual healing that happened through the dream incubation was uh, a warrior with an arrow, uh, an arrowhead embedded in his shoulder was so deep and complicated that it couldn't be taken out by surgery. So he went into the temples and he also did the dream incubation and in his sleep he saw Asclepius come to him and perform what you and I would call a psychic surgery a dream yeah. surgery he woke up and the arrowhead had popped out no physical surgery but wow. this, the psycho spiritual process was so intense they believed in it so deeply that it, it worked and uh, and it can work for us if we can surrender ourselves to dreams and visions and oracles. So let me let me just ask you, Ed. Other realms or dimensions, as you call them, are very critical to us as a physical being. And if we're disconnected to them, we're really not only hurting ourselves, but any chance to renew, refresh, and heal. Are, uh, are, are dampened in a, in a critical sense. So 
these dream incubations sound like because uh, you're fasting and you're changing your 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 metabolism and you're preparing for the best possible uh, state to have these dreams. These are critical in uh, renewing the body, mind, and spirit. I guess, right? Oh yes. Um, how about we jump in this way a little deeper? I can share a spontaneous dream incubation I had. Love to hear uh, it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, because of my family history and the way my parents and grandparents carried stress, uh, most of several generations had irritable bowel syndrome. We put our stress in our, in our guts, and we we have bowel problems. So I was diagnosed with IBS way back in my twenties. Wow. Most of, most of me is okay, but all my physiological wounding is in my those chakras, uh, my my gut and my lower back. So in other words, all the stress, all the trauma, whatever you're dealing with as a young person, was directed in your gut, your yeah, bowel. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, yes, uh, I can even talk about irritable bowel syndrome as a diagnosis. It's the problem isn't the bowels. The problem is the irritability. Think about yeah. that. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. And that's what happened in my family over at least three generations. Frustrated, angry, hurt, uh, traumatized people who had so much irritation from their difficult experiences in the world, they stored them in their bowels. Nobody ever asked me about that. Nobody ever asked me about that. All right. So flash forward to, oh, it's about 20 years ago. Uh, I was teaching a, a course. Um, it's actually adult education. So I had uh, mature advanced students and some uh medical doctors in my course, teaching a course on ancient Greek uh, wisdom. We were studying this tradition. The doctor in my class said, um, well, this is really interesting and fascinating stuff, but I don't believe any of it. It's not scientific. How can you prove this? What do you mean a surgery can happen without surgical instruments or um uh, a pregnancy can go on for more than a year, and then you can have a vision that that releases the the baby and the mother from their agony. I don't believe it. Uh, I need some proof, not just the old testimonies, because maybe their mythology also. All right. So we left the class that way. I was thinking very much. Uh, what are we gonna? How how can I? Um, Bring more evidence if he's not going to believe the evidence of ancient uh, medical testimony. All right. So uh, then, well, in that week between classes, I had a dream. I didn't even set up the dream incubation. I had the, the problem that I was really, really, I was incubating myself. How can I give this doctor a meaningful answer and demonstrate this? Um, so one night I had a dream in my own bedroom uh, that 
Well, a doctor who looked like this doctor but really looked like Asclepius. Tall, curly black, uh, gray hair, a big beard, and he was in robes and he was carrying his caduceus. He walked into my bedroom. He walked right up next to to my bed and stood and looked down at me and said, I hear you've been calling me. (laughs) And and this is all in the dream. And I said, oh, yes, Lord, I have been calling you. I need your help. And uh, I've got a difficult student and I've got some physiological problems. And the dream, in the dream vision, Asclepius said, yes, I know, and I've come to give you a remedy. I want you to give yourself an enema made of lemon juice and vinegar. Take the enema, and it will help heal your bowels. Then we bowed to each other, and he left. All right. I woke up the next day. I called the the recalcitrant doctor friend from my class and I told him what happened and he he laughed and said I've never heard of anything like that but you're our guinea pig you got to do it <laughs> right so and then he said I just have one modern medical suggestion water down the lemon juice and vinegar so you don't burn yourself down there so I did uh, so I made the enema as suggested by the divine doctor and my friend, right. and uh, and I actually set up a little temple of Asclepius in my bathroom. I had a statue and a candle and incense, and I prayed, and then I took the enema, and it's hard to describe what happened, but I felt such a sudden and intense glow of magnificent energy hmm. uh, pouring through me. Kundalini up and down my spine. Um, my body was glowing with um, this magnificent, really healthy energy, and it did it, uh, immediately. It um, didn't completely, perfectly heal me, but it did quite significantly improve my, my digestion and elimination immediately. So I still use that to keep myself in balance, and I also understood. Uh, as we said, irritability is the problem, not ill bowels. And yeah, I took, and I took an acid enema to burn off the irritability that had been trapped in my bowels. And holistically, it makes sense, and it worked. We're going to take a few minutes to identify our sponsors, and then we will return with my guest today, Dr. Edwin Tick, and he's speaking on his new book. Soul Medicine. We'll be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My guest today is Dr. Edward Tick, who is introducing his new book, Soul Medicine, and the different types of healing that were incorporated in the ancient Greeks as well as earlier indigenous people. Let's talk about some of the other uh, indigenous healing techniques. Um, obviously, dream incubation is huge for the Greeks. I mean, you, you, I've had other people on here who have spoken about uh, these temples and and the importance the Greeks placed on uh, dreaming wellness, dreaming for, with messages to uh, show the way of healing. Yes. But uh, you also talk about uh, paranormal phenomenon. Yes. Uh, give us some examples of how that may happen and how they come about. Is this something where, and we should bring uh, discuss this in the very beginning, is that Using intention, like I'm not well, I I'm taking medicines. It's not helping. I I want to intend on some form of healing. Is that? Can we talk a little bit about how that would work with paranormal phenomenon? Uh, sure, uh, intention is very important. Um, I also, you know, say that I use pilgrimage um, as a, a one of my significant healing practices. So. Uh, and I don't take pil- people on pilgrimage. I lead them to both to Greece and to Vietnam. And Vietnam might be a different program because that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so we won't go there right now. But uh, I won't take people on pilgrimage to either place if they don't have very serious intention for healing and deep spiritual development. It, these are not vacations. Uh, so. For uh, for for healing pilgrimage, intention is critical. Having a group of uh, brother sister pilgrims to travel together, uh, so that we have a, a healing community, is critical. Having uh, an initiated 
teacher, guide, or elder who's deeply experienced in the tradition and has been touched and, um, well, initiated and healed him or herself so that they're familiar with the practices. But much more importantly, as in the shamanic tradition, the healer has to be able to contact and transmit the energies uh, to the supplicants. And then we go on long uh, journeys. And they can be inward journeys that don't have to come to Greece. It can be a journey in your own home, in your bedroom. But you have to also set aside the time so that mm-hmm. we're leaving clock time and entering sacred time. We're leaving ordinary consciousness and uh, working or being guided into an altered state of consciousness where reason and the ego quiet down and get out of the way and our intuition, our imagination, our souls uh, open up to the universe uh, and to nature to receive those paranormal or non-normative or psycho-spiritual or visionary um, uh, experiences and gifts that the universe can provide when we open ourselves. And it's very important to have an intention and seek what we're looking for. It's not only about um, health and illness. It's really also about what guides the soul. So uh, in addition to the Escapian tradition, which was about restoring health, uh, people know this as well. Uh, people went to Delphi, to Delphi, to the Oracle, uh, and like there were over 300 um, incubation sites, there were over 200 oracular sites all over the Mediterranean world. Talk a little bit about that, Ed. I mean, would you go, I mean, I think it's much, it's critical to to let people know that it's not just like going to a psychic. Uh, It's it's a whole different animal. Talk a little bit about the oracles of Delphi or uh, oracles in general. This is one of the points that you make in your book is that people would go and have a perhaps reading or a a session with somebody who looked at the entire person uh from uh from a multiple level kind of perspective so give us some details about the oracles yeah uh people went to the oracles for answers to profoundly disturbing and necessary life questions that they needed answers yeah. and uh and these were hard travels the uh, the the sites were some sites were relatively accessible uh, there was an Asclepion sanctuary right under the acropolis in athens so you didn't have to go far but you had when you went into the the, the Asclepion, you stayed there for a long time as we described but delphi meant uh days and days of walking or riding your donkey or taking a ship and then walking a long distance. So people had to make sacrifice and take a long time and have great intention. And if they went once in their life um, to ask that key question of really, who am I? What is my destiny? What does, what do the gods, what does the divine want from me? Those were the kinds of questions that they asked. So um, there's some famous stories. Uh, it was difficult to interpret the oracles correctly, and people sometimes made mistakes, and we have famous stories about that. There was an emperor 
forget his name right now, but uh, there was an emperor from the Near East who wanted to invade another country. He went to Delphi and he and asked, uh, "Should I invade?" And the oracle said, uh, "If you take your army across the river, a country will be destroyed." He took his army across the river because he thought he was being blessed by the god. Well, it was his country that was destroyed. Oh boy. So uh, so the interpretation is also very important and critical, and we can make mistakes on that. And that is our human uh, contribution to understanding the oracle. Let me tell you uh, quickly another oracle story from one of my journeys, just also how this works. This happened on Crete. I had a group on Crete. We were in Iraklion, which is the capital of Crete. We were at the grave of Nikos Kazantzakis, the famous Cretan writer who he wrote Zorba the Greek. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, if you, do you remember the movie, The Last Temptation of Christ? Sure. Yeah. He wrote the novel. Okay. Okay. So really important writer. The Cretans love him. His tomb is built into the old 14th century city walls. We were up there. Our group was up there. I had a, a Vietnam veteran who was traveling with me who declared he was an atheist. And he was here for the adventure, but he didn't believe this stuff. He decided when we're up on the tomb, he was restless, decided to walk down the long stone stairway himself. Uh, and we would catch up to him later. He walked down the stairs. He got to the to the sidewalk level. And it was a very still day. Beautiful sun, warm day, not a breeze. And suddenly, a breeze just picked up and blew a piece of paper, smacked him in the face. And then the breeze stopped. All right, he looked down at the paper. He thought it was a piece of garbage, but he saw there was a Greek handwritten in Greek on the paper, the rest of our group came down and he looked at all of us and said, I don't know what happened. Why did this happen? What does this mean? We translated the message. It said, there is a star reserved for you in the firmament. Be careful. There's a star reserved for you in the firmament. Be careful. This sweet man, he had become an atheist because of the horrible combat and tragedies he saw in Vietnam. He said, I just got an answer. I just got an answer. I can't understand this. This is way out of my worldview, my thought system. Nothing like this has ever happened. But we are connected. And I was heard. And I thought I was just a waste from the war, the way my country treated me. Mm-hmm. But there's a star in the firmament for me. I've got purpose. I've got meaning. Since then, this man finished college, has traveled the world working with other veterans from other countries, has become a fierce, from isolation and substance abuse, has become a fierce advocate for veteran healing for all wars and all all peoples and he he saved the piece of paper is framed and hanging in his study and he looks at it all the time and he said 
I can't any longer be an atheist because I didn't even know I was looking for it, but I received an oracle, a message from the divine that told me I matter here. So Mm -hmm. I'm accepting my responsibility to live a life that matters. I love those kinds of messages. You know, his was very direct. Black and white, a piece of paper hits him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) You can't get more any more literal than that. Right. Well, um, my own shamanic teacher told me a long time ago, uh, when we don't believe, we need to be hit on the head with a hammer. Mm. (laughs) And as we stay on the path and, and do these practices and have much more belief and faith and experience, then the uh, the messages come more easily, but they're also more gentle because we have been initiated. We are living on the other side with the spirit world. Yeah, so, I love this. Uh, and you've just given me my next question, which is uh, preparing for the answer through initiation. So in the United States and in the Western world, these are the top illnesses that are prominent, and we're talking in the millions, heart yes. disease, leading cause of death, cancer, chronic respiratory illness, obesity, which you wouldn't think is a, is an illness, but it apparently is because it leads to all kinds of physiology problems. And then the fifth, and there's, there's more than this, but these are the top five, Alzheimer's, basically shutting down. So, Ed, let's look at these five critical areas and as a as a form of therapy, how do you look at heart disease? Because that's the heart, and that can mean so many things. But real quickly, what is a what is a a process that someone could perhaps use in conjunction with their allopathic treatment? Well, um, we need to treat ourselves holistically mm-hmm. first, because. Uh, As we've both been sharing, our doctors are not likely to. Um, I have, I'm gonna, let's stay with the heart. Uh, As a psychotherapist, I had a cardiologist, a successful cardiologist in middle years. He must have been in his fifties when we worked together. Uh, He came in for psychotherapy because he had a very successful cardiology practice. And he said, after decades of practicing, I realize I'm only treating the end product of a long life process. By the time people come to me, their hearts are so damaged, they need my surgery. I don't want to just be fixing a broken pump. I want to be preventing heart disease. So uh, he did really deep uh, inner work on himself, and he actually gave up his practice and went back uh, to medical school to become a psychiatrist because wow. he said, yeah, uh, if I treat people correctly at the beginning of their uh, illness process, then they can perhaps live, live good lives and avoid developing heart disease. The problem with this is, though, there's no messaging in our society of what to look for, what are the what are the signs that you need to begin looking at your lifestyle your interactions with other people, your stress level, so forth. There's a a, a myriad of of issues 
but thankfully we have we have your book to, as one of many many uh, solutions. Um, do you have another example of heart uh, uh, incubation yeah. technique prior to or in conjunction with your physician's recommendations for wellness? Well, sure. Um, we need to really, everybody needs to embrace the, uh, the, the imaginative, allegorical, symbolic uh, dimensions of the heart. The heart is not just a physical pump. The heart is, and you know, the Eastern systems all teach us this as well. The heart is the central chakra. The heart is uh, the, the center of our of our feelings, of our emotional life. And people develop heart disease over a long period of time because they ignore their emotional lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so the more we carefully and respectfully tend our emotional life, the less likely we're going to develop heart disease. Uh, when people come for psychotherapy for support um, for for dealing with um, heart ailments, that's where I go. What emotions have you been storing in your heart for years, for decades, that have so built up so that it finally causes a disease? And um, and can we work together to release those emotions and over time help your heart? Ease its burden and heal without um, without surgery or you know uh, drastic techniques. Right. I just uh, heart disease. This was new. I hadn't heard of this before. Just a few weeks ago, uh, one of my clients told me about his father, who was another another war veteran who had never, ever, ever shared his stories or his feelings about his military service, he developed um, a calcified pericardium. Wow. The sect that surrounds the heart, calcified, it turned into a stone wall to hold in his emotion. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh this gentleman was saved by surgery. It was too far gone. It would have killed him. Uh, so they were able to open that calcified wall and begin to release what was locked in there. And that changed his life, too, because uh, he didn't have the wall anymore to hold his emotions in. And so he did decide, ah. It's taken decades to build this wall. Well, now I can reverse the process while I'm still alive. I've been given an opportunity to share with my family and my friends and start to release what was in there. Amazing. So there's another example of how our emotional uh, courage or terror of what we store up um, can directly lead to heart disease. Uh, we have the famous book these days, The Body Keeps the Score. Um, uh, I don't think I've I read that one. I'm going to write that down. The body keeps the score. The body keeps the score. Yeah, it's by a, a trauma therapist named Bessel van der Kolk, and it is about what we're partially what we're talking about: how the body registers all of our 
a lifelong emotional, psychological crises and turns them into body symptoms. And if we learn how to read the body uh, uh, symbolically, then we can go backwards uh, to the original wound. I'm going to reference Carl Jung on this also. Uh, Jung famously said, uh, what we what used to be known as the gods and goddesses have become our neurotic symptoms. Hmm. So we also can translate things backwards, back into the universal principles that first bring about the issues. So like I was saying, it's not nothing. It's not my bowels. It's the irritability. I'm going backwards into the origin. Right. Uh, so many examples uh, for somebody with substance abuse problems. Are you an addict or, you know, and that's genetic and you don't have a, you got to just do your 12 steps or have, do you have a, um, a wounded and distorted relationship to the God Dionysus, the God of ecstasy and wine and revelry. Right. And can you heal your relationship to Dionysus or uh, use of pornography or sexual addictions or acting out? What's your relationship to Aphrodite, to the goddess of love? And why are you approaching what's going on inside you that you're approaching something so beautiful and divine in this um, underworld way. And mm-hmm. is it satisfying? It's never, those things are never satisfying. They're substitutes. So what is your soul looking for through these activities? And let, how can you find them and we can provide them for you. So you really do get the soul satisfaction that you're seeking. Hmm. Fascinating. The book's called Soul Medicine, Healing Through Dream Incubation, Visions, Oracles, and Pilgrimage. My guest today has been Edward Tick. Uh, This book just came out, uh, and so you can get it on Amazon. Uh, I I want you to address the big one, number two on the list of, uh, especially in the United States, cancer, which is cell uh, multiplication on a a crazy level cell cells growing and you know that's that's one of the cancers what yeah. do we what do we look for you know that's a devastating diagnosis i, I mean to tell somebody that they have cancer is scary mm-hmm. as hell uh and i think the real problem my brother younger brother just passed away from from cancer uh oh, type of cancer uh Thanks. But the thing is that the Western solution is so scary and yes. offers such poor, poor treatment because of the marketing and the money they make on the drugs, on the on the oh, surgeries right. and things mm-hmm. like that. What do you, uh, as a, I want to just call you a, a medical historian in a way, what do you suggest fundamentally when someone gets not only that diagnosis what i mean i can see the dream incubation as a really good one where you kind of do a day without eating you fast you kind of uh do some ceremony and then you cultivate that dream with real hopes of messaging but what what are you feeling in terms of somebody who gets something like that uh i'll refer to another um person that i've worked with uh, who was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
Um, and this was a Greek American woman. So she was, uh, quite, um, interested and enthusiastic about this process. Well, in brief, well, we went to Greece together. She studied the tradition. She did dream incubation. Um, what she discovered about her breast cancer, this was a life history of uh, lack of love. She was in a loveless marriage. She... I'm remembering her fondly as we talk. Oh, she's okay. She's still alive. That's good. Oh, I was going to ask you because you're, you're, yeah. <laughs> no, I departed. She's not. No, she actually she she wasn't expected to live this long, but she just turned eighty, so she's doing okay. Yeah. But regarding her cancer, through traveling to Greece, going on pilgrimage, we didn't only do the dream incubation in Greece, which was very important for her. And she said, as a uh, she's Greek Orthodox, but she said, my dream incubation experience was the strongest presence of the divine in my body that I ever experienced in my life. And working with her dreams on the way during our journey and then her incubation process, she finally emerged saying, I don't have a physiological illness. I, It's in my breasts. I have a disease of love that I've never paid attention to and I've allowed to grow in me by living in this loveless marriage. I ah. need to go home and make profound changes in who I relate to, how I relate to them, what I expect from other people and stop sacrificing myself unto nearly unto death. So she didn't make, and this was 20 years ago. So she wasn't expected to live through her sixties, but she just turned 80. Uh, so, did she, uh, she obviously was with, with you on this one, but did she, uh, uh, provide you with, uh, insight into what she had experienced in her dream or dreams, a specific oh, yes. individual or a message or anything? Oh, actually, that- in, um, yes. And I have an earlier book on this tradition called the practice of dream healing. Uh, so her story is in that book. If people are more interested, uh, but The most important experience she had, well, there were two. One was being a member of a very sincere healing community. We traveled together and we tended each other so deeply and respectfully. And the Greek people tend us, uh, they're extraordinarily kind and welcoming. Um, And that's their ancient tradition as well. So she said the two things that healed me the most were to be really loved and supported by the community to realize, oh, I could live in a family like this that's really loving and supportive, and I haven't been doing it. Mm. Secondly, uh, we did a lot of dream work and dream analysis along the way. It actually wasn't her dream incubation experience, but as a sincere Greek Orthodox person, in the Asclepian sanctuary, they always had healing waters. They did hydrotherapy. Uh, and um, there are a lot of testimonies um, in the ancient times about taking the healing waters and what they can do for you. Yeah. So we were in the sanctuary uh, in Turkey of Pergamum, which was the second largest in the ancient world, where the, that famous uh, physician Galen came from. She took the healing waters there 
from the fountain that is still flowing from ancient times. So these are the it's still the same uh, really powerful, clean healing waters coming out of Mother Earth. Yeah, she took them there and she said, "I've taken communion so many times in church, but I never felt it. But when I took these waters, I knew I was taking a divine antidote, and I felt the healing." permeate my being from taking the waters wow uh you're in you're in greece right now i'm looking at your uh your press kit it says you're central massachusetts so i guess are you there uh, in greece permanently now oh i wish thank you no <laughs> uh, i'm here to i'm working on my next book uh, for, ah, okay and then at the end of the month a group is joining me to lead another I'll lead another pilgrimage. Yeah, Ed, you don't even doesn't even show that you lead pilgrimages to uh, to Greece. It, the way you're describing these uh, these baths and these uh, these temples, it sounds like they're still available and open to the public. That's fascinating. Well, the way we do them, yes. <laughs> I mean, the the healing sanctuaries are not actually operating now, but yeah. the sanctuary. There's two kinds. There are the larger sanctuaries that are uh, that are you know rebuilt and um, many many tourists visit them. So we visit them quietly. We teach the lessons. Uh, we talk. We pray. Uh, people meditate. You know they, they do a few hours of incubation on their own when we're in those sanctuaries. There are also many remote sanctuaries uh, that I know of. Um, some not even used by the Greek people where the hike through the mountains um, or go to a remote village on Southern Crete and the sanctuaries are there and they're just there and they're open. So we use them all day long. We do ceremony and ritual and incubation in the sanctuaries. And, uh, and as I said, the waters are flowing still in many of the sanctuaries. Uh, the sanctuaries all also had theaters. So we do psychodrama in sacred psychodrama in the theaters. And then we create the dream temple in our hotels, honestly. Yeah. You're, you're, you're there, you're collecting the energy and then you can go back and do a little, uh, in your hotel room, little personal uh, sessions, I guess. Yeah. Well, we, we do the incubation practices in the hotel. I've, I've been doing this, um, Oh, since 1995, so I have... Oh, my God. So you're like an expert on this. Well, <laughs> well you have the book, The Practice of Dream Healing, so that's where that came out of, I guess. Yeah, right. So yeah. humbly, I guess, I I will humbly own that, not because, not for my ego, but yeah. because my, my life's devotion. Uh, so I know the hotels. I have good relationships with people. So, uh, and the hotels I use... Um, welcome us in doing incubation in their hotels so we get quiet rooms and we set up the the dream temple actually in our hotel and some people in the group will incubate the way we're talking about we do mm -hmm. ceremony ritual prayer intention setting a lot of group work along the way to the incubation day and then some people will be supporters, the community supporting, and others will incubate. They'll, they'll fast and pray and set their intentions, and then we put them to bed. We swaddle them. We pray over them. We set up their, uh, a few hotel rooms as the incubation chambers, and then they will incubate 
actually for as long as they need to. So sometimes it's only a few hours and a dream comes. Uh, the longest one I remember in this kind of practice was 16 hours of person in bed, uh, just dreaming and visioning all night long. Oh, I and, thought you were going to say 16 hours, and then at the end they had their, their dream. <laughs> that would be a long time. Well, so. it, that one was, but yeah. but but it's okay. And then and then we spend a, a day or several days sharing the dreams and processing them. And also as the facilitator, um, I've been doing this so long that I don't want it to mislead people, but I guess we would say that um, I channel Asclepius because I always take the graveyard shift. I sit with the dreamers like from oh, two. Interesting. You're a facilitator. Yes, I am. So while the people are dreaming, I am also having waking dreams. Mm. I, I suspend my rationality. I don't think about what I know about the person, but I'm sitting in the dark next to them. And I have waking visions uh, of Asclepius or the Caduceus or his snake or any of the other healing powers coming to the person. And doing the healing on them. Wow. And so the next day they share their dreams and visions. I share what I saw. And then the entire group works together to really deepen the understanding of what we've received and also what changes are being invited in this person's life. Wow. Amazing. Hey, Ed, how can people get a hold of you? What's your uh, What's your website? Oh, you have you have a couple. Give us the. Yeah, the I, do uh, have, you... I have to thank you for my full range of my work, including the pilgrimages. Uh, a lot of my writings are on it. Is uh, mentorthesoul.guide, and that's as one word, mentor the soul. And then dot g u i d e guide. Yes. Okay. And then for my books, um, I have an author's site, which is just my name, edwardtick.com. Fantastic. Really uh, an experience speaking with you. Uh, I think I think towards the end, it even got uh, more interesting. You're kind of a, uh, you're doing these healing tours and you're kind of like the uh, shaman of the group, um, which is fun. It's just fun. You're allowed to say that. Thank you. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, have to be careful about when people claim that for themselves. Well, you haven't said I've used ayahuasca or DMT or anything like that. So you're a dream, actually, dream therapist. Uh, yeah. Uh, in the classical make, a quick, make a quick comment about that. People are, I'm not... I'm not protesting or denying the power of ayahuasca and the sacred medicines. They're incredibly powerful. But uh, our culture is turning very, very much towards psychedelics, ketamine therapy, and the medical profession is taking that over and controlling that too. People are desperately hungry for deep, meaningful, real spiritual experience. And yeah. most people only know how to seek it through the medicines. So well, you're I'm, right. It's it's a quick fix. They don't have to wait. Yeah. They don't have to fast. They don't have to be just uncomfortable for the dreams to come forth. And so, exactly. And that's our society. And that's why traditional allopathic medicine is is doing so well. Is it, they're all about the quick fix. Right. Give me a drug. You know. Yes. So, uh, so my book and my work is, uh, well, the slow fix. Yeah. Traditional. Yeah. 
Hey, uh, Ed, much success on Soul Medicine, and um, perhaps we'll have you back when your new book comes out. Thank you very much, Cliff. It's great to be with you, and thank you for the work you're doing spreading this wisdom. I want to mention that the institutions, the medical universities and colleges that are graduating our future doctors understand that there's a huge problem uh, within their ranks, understand that what is coming out of colleges probably for the last, oh my God, many, many decades are physicians who are disconnected, who are uh, not healers in the true sense of the word, healers and understanding a person's uh, wellness. I have never, uh, and I'm in my 60s, I have never had a uh, an allopath asked me how I was, uh, what what emotional state I was in dur- during an illness. I recently had a heart attack. No one once asked me what was on my mind, what was uh, going through my day. They they don't address that. They don't address the most fundamental aspects of of uh, mental awareness, mental states, emotions. If someone's in a crisis when a, when a problem happened, it's it's a huge, huge disconnect. And if you were listening closely to what it had to say about um, various healing conditions that people go through, you know, if a, a doctor were to say, you know, maybe you need to dial it down a little bit, maybe you need to consider a meditative practice, I mean, they are so out of touch. And and this is what I I, I I personally have been dealing with. I mean, I had a a, a stent uh, inserted into my uh, cardiac artery, and uh, you know I, I haven't heard from my cardiologist. Uh, I mean, I've emailed her a couple of times, but we've never had a face to face following that procedure. Uh, and they're they're just they're just automatons, you know, they're robots, and this is not healing and. Um, can probably hear not only frustration in my voice, but uh, rising anger. And I've been unhappy with the the majority of the allopathic uh, tradition for for many, many, many years. And a lot of people are, and it's not necessarily their fault. I have family members that are doctors. Uh, my grandfather was a physician. He he understood what I was talking about before he passed. He was actually very outspoken about the education that he received as a surgeon, but also what was not discussed, which are these, these wellness uh, traditions that we were, we were talking about today. So uh, I think the answer is to be as aware as you can. Uh, some of you may be listening and going, I, I'll never do meditation. I'll never I'll never get into dream dream incubation. I'll never go to an oracle, which is kind of like a, a modern day psychic. <laughs> but I think it, it actually does come up when you get very sick or you have a, a, a momentary crisis, like a heart attack, or God forbid, a diagnosis of cancer. Oh my, oh, what a terrible, terrible uh, diagnosis, scary diagnosis. And then, you know, these guys, these doctors are like, well, we got to get you under the knife or we got to 
you know, address this with radiation, you know, and oh my God, uh, that's another show. So anyhow, I hope you got something out of the program today. Hey, we have a, a fantastic tour coming up. It's in Mexico. It is our uh, ancient Maya tour of uh, Tabasco and Chiapas. It is November 10th through the 17th, and it's with Dr. Edwin Barnhart. I've been talking about it. You've heard Ed on Earth Ancients, and uh, wonderful guy. I'm looking forward to uh, joining him. I've never done a tour with Ed, and uh, he's been doing them for years now. And uh, we're going to be going uh, meeting in uh, Verahamosa, Mexico. Uh, we go and we see uh, a full day of Olmec ruins and then the artifacts that they've collected in a museum known and uh, uh, highlighted. It's, it's a Leventa Museum, the Olmec Museum. World famous artifacts there and an outdoor museum of these amazing megalithic uh, altars and tomb uh, artifacts, just amazing. Then we bus to Palenque, and we stay in Chiapas for the majority of the, of the time, checking out some of the most uh, iconic ruins you can imagine. The beauty of this is that not only that we have a Mayanist with us, uh, someone who uh, his entire education is based on the Mayan history, but we also have somebody who actually excavated Palenque, this amazing city, one of the Maya jewels of their culture in Chiapas. Uh, it's going to be a fun tour. It's very reasonable. For more information in the full itinerary, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours, T-O-U-R-S. Look for the Maya uh, banner, click on it, and you'll see the entire itinerary. Now, we're halfway full. We're only going to take about 30 people. So get your deposit in as soon as you can. And if you have any questions whatsoever, send me an email at earthancients 4 you the number four, the letter U, at gmail.com. And I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you pretty quick. Most of the questions are, you know, where are we going? How safe is it? I know there's been some questions about Mexico in the last few weeks. Those are border areas, the borders between the United States and Mexico. Those are always hot spots because they're uh, trying to get drugs across or trying to get people across. We do not interact with those areas. Where we're going is completely safe. And I'll tell you, uh, as a traveler to Mexico over 25 years, never had a problem, never had any interactions. We have a great time. And uh, I can guarantee you, you're going to love it. For more information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours and check it out. All right, that's it for this program. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Edward Tick, coming to us from, hey, you know, he, he came to us from Greece, which I thought was kind of cool. He was about to do a tour, so he squeezed in an interview with us. That was fun. The team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone else who makes this thing happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, take care, be well, and we will talk to you next time.